Hello, Gap Year Universe. I'm Julia Rogers. And I'm Margot Brookfield. Welcome to Gap Year Radio, the show that brings you information and inspiration to plan a life-changing Gap Year adventure. Welcome to another Gap Year Exploration Month pod today. We are really excited to feature a very important topic, how to volunteer ethically with animals. And to guide us through this conversation, we are so excited to welcome Nora Livingstone to the Gap Year Radio podcast. And she is the co-founder and volunteer coordinator for Animal Experience International, which is an organization that offers ethical and life-changing trips for students, professionals, and animal lovers. And they offer volunteer opportunities and projects all around the world with organizations that are known to be working ethically and sustainably towards animal conservation. Nora herself is a Nature Canada woman for nature, and she's on the advisory board for the Orangutan Project and on the Women's Advisory Council of Journey Women. Nora holds FEMA certifications for volunteering, leadership and deployment during natural disasters, and has volunteered with animals all over the world. Margo, you had this conversation with her. Tell us more about your interview. I had such a great time chatting with Nora as we kind of took a deep dive into some of the ethical issues around volunteering with animals, especially when you're looking at volunteer projects abroad. There is just so much to really dig into and certainly a lot of pitfalls that tourists or volunteers abroad might fall into in that respect when they are looking at projects to volunteer with. And so she shares with us, you know, through her many, many years of experience as not only in her personal life, but also through running Animal Experience International, just shares with us some of those pitfalls that a prospective gap year student might want to look out for as they are searching for a volunteer experience, especially if someone is looking at an independent placement for volunteering. You know, we kind of talk about the difference too with if you're going with a program, they are likely vetting any projects that they are partnering with or volunteer experiences that they are providing for students. But especially if you're venturing on your own and want to do a volunteer experience, just important things to really look out for. She also goes into within that some of the ethics that Animal Experience International stands behind as they are looking at their volunteer projects. So I think that's really helpful context. Uh, She also tells us just more about Animal Experience International and the programs that someone might sign up for. I mean, they do take folks of all ages, but if there was a gap year student looking for an experience through AEI on their gap year, you know, kind of what those experiences might look like and how they've gone about setting up their partnerships abroad ensure that they are the most sustainable and ethical as they can be and avoiding kind of volunteerism or savior traps in that regard. So, so much incredible knowledge and information is shared from someone who I would certainly say is an expert in the field. Yeah, I've known Nora for a long time and I know that she feels so strongly about getting students out there into opportunities that are really making positive change and are not exploitative at all. So I think that's really important. And I think that, you know, if you are an individual gap year student or traveler who is interested in working with animals, empowering yourself with this knowledge is so important because, you know, like Margot just said, you know, if you're traveling with a very reputable gap year organization, they are pre-vetting a lot of those partner sites. However, I have come across a lot of organizations that are more like tour groups or sometimes, you know, uh, really, you know, not greatly run for-profit gap year opportunities where they are participating in some of these more negative red flag type of projects. And so I think that as a intentional and educated traveler, people can also understand like if they're seeing a picture of someone hugging a lion on a website, they're like, oh, maybe this is not an organization that I want to be traveling with. So I think that for all of this, um, it were, I think that every student who listens to this uh, episode is going to come across, come away with so much more knowledge to arm themselves in figuring out what the best programs are for them. 
Totally. And another thing too, that I think is really exciting to just kind of shed some more light on that I know we've talked about a lot in the last couple of years in the gap year space, but there are these new fair trade learning standards within the gap year association that are a part of accreditation for any program or counselor that is accredited through the GYA. And Nora had a really big hand in helping to create those standards. And so, you know, we discussed that a little bit more on the episode and we will also link in the show notes more information about the fair trade learning standards. Cause I just think that's also, if you're looking into this, those are a great starting point to just kind of educate yourself and see what are some things that are the ethical benchmarks I should be looking for when it comes to this topic. So I think that's also a really great, important note. For sure. I love that. So I cannot wait to hear this conversation and uh, anything else that you want to add before we get started? No, Nora has so much to share. So without further ado, let's get on with it. (laughs) All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome, Nora, to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Super excited to have you here. Julia and I have been very excited to begin really diving into ethics while traveling in a variety of different capacities. And I know that a lot of your work has surrounded general ethics while traveling, of course, but particularly with animals. And I know that's been a very kind of hot topic thing for students when they're looking at gap year opportunities. Uh, you know, every who doesn't love a, a cute furry animal or something of that nature. And so really wanting to be intentional about that. So really excited to have you just share more with us about how students can really approach that with intention on their gap year. Oh, I'm so excited to be here to talk about that because I think it is something many people grow up loving animals and uh, and being so curious and interested in animals but then when going away on gap year we just don't really know the questions to ask so we don't know what we don't know so I'm I'm happy to tell people what I think <laughs> <laughs> lovely great so I would love to if you can just start with a little bit more of an intro maybe tell the listeners out there a little bit more about your background. And I know that you also have a company that you have founded called Animal Experience International. So if you want to give us some some of what kind of led you to founding that organization and, and what brought you here. Yeah, yeah, my path was very um, not linear, um, as as I'm just de- I'm deciding and figuring out more more and more paths are, or are not. So I went to school. I went to university, and I did cultural anthropology and environmental studies because um, I found it interesting. But I didn't really know where I was going to go with that. Then I went to uh, guide school for a while because I was like, I like the outdoors, and a real job seems hard. So I was a canoe guide and mountaineer guide for a while. Um, and then I was really lucky I was able to go to Nepal and Thailand and South Korea and do some volunteering when traveling and I had some amazing experiences and I had some experiences that made me just sort of question what I was doing where I was going how I was helping and so um, so I got back to Canada and didn't know how to like you know defrag my brain and uh and sort of debrief what happened and so i uh, became a volunteer coordinator at a wildlife center in canada and i loved it thought it was so fun and so great to get people passionate and engaged about wildlife rehabilitation um, in the toronto area um, see all the different weird animals that exist in urban areas um, which people find like really confusing but we we share the world with with more than just other people 
and sometimes we're better at sharing uh, than other times. And I, I met my now business partner, Dr. Heather Reed there. She is uh, a wildlife veterinarian. And after I left the center, she said, hey, all you do is talk about the ethics of volunteering and working with animals and working with people and 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 making sure you're doing a good job um what if we were to make that a business and i said how hard could that be let's do it um the answer is like pretty hard and uh, a year in we decided to become a b corp which means we we get audited every couple years to make sure we have we actually benefit uh the communities we work in and the natural world um and we are transparent and good governance and things like that. But that was 2011. And so when we decided, we just thought, hey, we should get people volunteering internationally with animals, like our name would <laughs> would presume. And um, we only go to places that contact us first. So instead of just uh, us, uh, two white women from Canada, uh, running around the world telling people that they must have volunteers and our help, we wait for people to say, hey, we found out about you, we trust you, we'd like to have volunteers from you. And then we do about two years of research and working in consultation with the with the community, the local community partners. And then uh, we go and visit, which is of course super fun to see the work that the volunteers would be doing, where they're living, how they are in the community. And so it has, it's blossomed from there. And we're working in places like Mongolia with wild horses, Guatemala with a wildlife rehabilitation center, Kenya with a dog center, and um, and many other places. So that is the the long story long of Nora Livingstone and AEI. <laughs> I love the intention behind your programming. That's really cool that you're able to kind of wait and for someone to reach out to you. And I think there obviously is a lot of problematic uh, relationships that might be formed in these sort of scenarios of yes coming in and saviorism and all of those sorts of things. And so very cool that you're able to foster those relationships over so long before even visiting and then sending volunteers there. I mean, that's really, that's amazing. Yeah, one of the um, unintended consequences of saying it takes two years of working with the community and figuring out um, consultation and consent and reciprocity and, and everything in between means that is these centers if they're looking to not be sustainable, if they're looking to not work with us in an ethical framework, if they're looking to not be ethical with volunteers or animals, they don't want to stick around for two years of consultation. They don't want to do research and development for that long. So it it really, it, it helps us because we, we really do get to not just kick the tires, but know everything around these centers. And it really does weed out places that um, I would say need um, uh, a bit more growth in, in a different way than we can give them. Totally. It makes a lot of sense. And I think that's a really great way to also kind of vet those programs, as you said, make sure that they also fit in line with the standards and ethics that you're wanting to promote with your participants. So that's awesome. Can you maybe just share a little bit more with us also about what the experience might be like on one of these programs? I mean, you can pick anywhere. I know I saw Mongolia. You mentioned Mongolia. That's been very high on my personal travel list for a while. But, you know, anywhere that it might be, um, you know, how long are these programs and what exactly would the volunteer participant be doing on one of your programs? Yeah, I oh, I love, uh, of course I'm biased, right? But I love our programs because they're so 
different because we do wait for communities to contact us. And so it's not just us like going through the internet and saying, we need a sea turtle program. We wait until a sea turtle program contacts us and says, this is specifically what we're looking for in our local community with the animals that we have that are, are living here right now. And in terms of sea turtles, sometimes they're living here only a little part of the year. So we do have to share them. But you asked about Mongolia, so I'll tell you. Um, I love talking about Mongolia because it often, people hear these programs all the time, sea turtles in Costa Rica, um, wildlife or elephant centers in Thailand, and not to take away the specialness of these places because they do incredible work with incredible animals. And we should never feel so entitled with travel that we're like, oh, everyone gets to see a sea turtle because that is obviously not true. Less than 1% of the population of the world gets to see sea turtles. So it's amazing we get to see them and even get to volunteer ethically with them. Um, but Mongolia, even less of the population will get to visit. Um, so all of our programs, like I said, are, um, are the local community saying we already have uh, we think a program that would work for volunteers or a program that already has volunteers coming. And we do make sure that we work in tandem with other groups. And so we never make the community say you can only work with us because what happens if there is a pandemic and they, um, they didn't diversify what's going on. Suddenly, um, there's, there's no volunteers and there's a lot, uh, obviously less help that's going on. And so we, we work with them to figure out how we can all, all cooperate. Essentially, we're all in it together. And so in the case of Mongolia, um, it is, it's about two hours outside of Ulaanbaatar. There is a national park with the wild horses that live there. And there are Mongolian scientists as well as scientists in the round the world that are studying these um, these wild horses and so the amazing thing about conservation is we know a lot about the biology of animals but we don't really know about their behavior and we don't really know about how to how to really help conservation in, in some cases and so this center specifically needs to have really hygienic data so they can then write studies so they can then make a better conservation plan. And so what I love is volunteers go and you don't have to know anything about anything. You just have to know what a horse looks like. So you go out with the scientists and you have weather instruments and, uh, and a GPS coordinator and you write down all this data and all this information while also writing down the behavior of the horses. And so are they fighting? Are they stressed? Are there does it seem like there's too many around and they're agitated? Um, are they playing? Are they constantly walking to another watering hole or pond or things like that? And with this information, we can then see, does this national park need to get bigger? Do we need to have better rules about how far away tourists can be from these horses? Do we have to have uh, even more conservation around um, things like, you know, watering holes and native plants being uh, brought in and, um, and cultivated? And it's really important because if it was just the scientists going out and taking these observations, 
there would be, you know, maybe five observations. But if we can send 50 volunteers a year, then there's 55 observations. And so it's just better for data. It's better for stats to say, this is how often we saw horses miling and looking around. This is how often we saw horses grazing. So we can know how to better conserve these animals for the future. And it's amazing because some people go for a week, some people go for a month. You live in a gur, which is what Mongolians call a yurt, um, just outside of the national park where all the scientists stay. All your food is uh, part of the, the experience, all your accommodation. And so it really is like an all-inclusive trip. Uh, we pick you up from the airport, we drop you off. It's all-inclusive, but instead of, um, you know, sitting at a pool, which I will not say is terrible. I love pools. I love sitting. Um, but if you don't want to sit at a pool, if you want to hike through the Mongolian steppe and see critically endangered uh, wild horses that are an a amazing part of of the whole ecosystem and are coming back from conservation um tons of conservation techniques and and international help um why not go to mongolia why not make that your your uh, your all-inclusive trip for the year oh my gosh that sounds absolutely incredible what a unique experience for anyone to get to participate in something like that have me daydreaming of mongolia <laughs> <laughs> Just how cool to be able to work so closely with scientists or researchers or or professionals in these various places. That's that's incredible. And I saw in your in perusing your website as well, it does look like you have maybe like preparation materials that you give to participants. I'm just curious, like what what sorts of things do you think are important for them to know in order to set them up for success when they head out on one of these experiences? Yeah, well, like importantly, I I go to all the places first. And so I used to say that I was everyone's big sister. And now I think I'm aging out and I'm everyone's mom uh, or auntie. <laughs> it's fine. I'm dealing with it. But so everyone applies and then every single volunteer of AEI talks to me. <laughs> and we sit down for half an hour, sometimes longer if they have more questions. And we really figure out if this is the program. And it's all about consent, right? Like you can't fully consent if you don't know what you're consenting to, what the expectations are, what it looks like. And so we have loads of information on the website, but I wanna sit down with people and really say like, this is how warm or cold it is at the uh, in a, a yurt in Mongolia. This is um, how you get clean drinking water when you're volunteering in Nepal. This is how close you are to the beach when you are volunteering in Guatemala. And so just that back and forth I think is really important because we really can let people know your expectations from seeing a picture of Mongolia may be a little bit different from the reality of Mongolia. And what does that look like? And then once uh, once we agree that this program is is what the volunteers are looking for, then we have uh, quite, a, quite a big manual we give them. Uh, they can be about 50 pages, but it is like, everything you forget to ask because you're so excited about traveling. So from getting money out to should you bring your own laundry detergent and uh, and learn how to how to do your laundry in a sink before you go um, to um, 
really like the histories of these centers because in order for us to again like consent to what we're going to be doing we need to understand the history and and how we got there um and then through the the whole process uh i'm also there of course to to answer any questions any concerns like that because yeah people can travel wherever they want and it is truly a privilege and an honor that they travel with us and so i want to make sure that they are comfortable they are confident they are a little bit nervous because you know always be a little bit nervous um but feel really good about where they're going and, and really why they're going that's incredible i love your ideology around consent-based travel or or partnership or volunteering and all of that and i would imagine that setting these people up for success with all of your preparation materials only makes that project and that volunteer experience more successful for both parties yeah yeah when we first started we um i think we're pretty naive and thought like oh people will want to do this because they know we're ethical and it was really important for us to become a b corp because like people shouldn't trust everyone anyone on the internet um <laughs> yeah and and even certifications right like you you should i said this before but like kick the tires and and look at what ethics means and what ethics are you following everyone like all villains in their origin story say that they're doing things ethically so do your ethics um align with the other ethics that are going on and um and yeah, we, we really wanted to make sure that when people were were part of AEI, they were understanding that we were trying to decolonize travel. We were trying to think more about equity, think about, you know, entitlement and, and where travel, where its roots really are in, in white supremacy and in and entitlement. And so we wanted to show we exist, unfortunately, because the counter exists. And so, you know, it's not for everyone, unfortunately, but the more we talk about it, the more it becomes for everyone. And people are, yeah, being really set up for success to have a program that, that at best, they feel very certain that in the future, they're not going to look back on it and go, ooh, that was not great. And at the very least, we'll go, okay, like, sure, you're ethical, but um, but maybe later on I'll think about it and I'll, and I'll unpack it. We give people the opportunity to, to learn it at all times in their life. Absolutely. I think it's so important that that kind of dichotomy you mentioned of, you know, this all exists because of these other systems that have been really detrimental. But the intention behind what you're doing, I think, is really inspiring. And hopefully if people aren't already thinking about it when they're looking for a volunteering experience, they are now and really opening their eyes to that. And within this ethics piece, too, I love your entire write-up of guidelines for ethical travel, which I think are very much deeper and beyond just the animal experiences. And so, again, for people who are maybe newer to these thought processes, what are some of those things, if you mind sharing, like, you know, how can one travel ethically or maybe some of the big points that folks should be really thinking about coming into an experience like this? Yeah, I think what, what sort of 2020 and this pandemic showed us is that we all want to really love our own spaces and we all want to really feel safe in the places that we live. And so if we are to take that idea of we want to feel safe, then I think that we can put that on everyone else in the world. We all want to feel safe. We all want to feel like we 
are living in a place that that we can consent to other people visiting or not visiting and I think it should go without saying but I think like I said before there was a lot of entitlement in travel before and there wasn't the thought of protecting vulnerable populations as much as there was the thought of I just love traveling and I just love seeing different people anyway I'll leave now and so when we first thought up consent-based tourism, it was in the pandemic when I was doing a lot of talking about the ethics of tourism and um, talking with a lot of universities and colleges. And I wanted to, I was just trying to think of a way to make it complex, but simple to think about the ethics of tourism, because you can get a master's, you could talk for not even hours, but days and months and years about ethics and who's and 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 why there's the motivations behind things but i was thinking the kind of easiest way would be to think about consent and to think about every single being that you are interacting with while you're uh, on a trip and also when you're at home and consent is freely given can be taken away at any time and is is something that is personal to everyone. And so it is the the host community says not just, okay, you're like welcome to come here, I guess. There's more people coming all the time and we can get some money from it. The, the host community has a full body yes and says, we there's continued consultation we are leading what tourism means to us we're not being told what tourism should be and this is the groundwork and this is when we will allow people in our community when we all consent to having to have people here and the same with animals the the animals that we have at our center none of them are tethered or written or made to perform at any time they can leave an interaction like unless they are working with a veterinarian and um, the animal is and they're um, they're getting a treatment then like all of us that maybe don't want to go to the doctor or the dentist we have to give up a little bit of consent because it is it's better for us um, but then also the the travelers have to consent to it and there isn't coercion, there isn't trickery. The travelers are looking around and saying, this isn't, this isn't going to hurt me. This may make me uncomfortable, but this is something that I really want to do. This isn't giving me the ick. This is making me feel excited. And I think when we, when we look at travel ethics, if we think about it through a lens of consent, it's a really accessible way. You may not know why you think something is unethical, why something doesn't feel good, but you know that it doesn't. You know it's not a full body yes. And so, like I was saying, like protecting um, vulnerable populations. You may look at uh, monkey orphanage. We will just use a very uh, broad example and go, huh, I don't know why that doesn't seem ethical, but there are no mom or auntie monkeys there. There's just monkeys and people. So I just, it doesn't feel right. And I think that's what consent does. You don't have to know all the answers. You just have to know, geez, it doesn't really feel right. I'm gonna look it up later. And I think it really empowers people in well, as well to look things up and say, huh, that's the ethics behind that. That's why this doesn't feel good. 
And I think when we're all empowered to say yes, but also to say no and make no a full sentence, like again, all boats rise. Everyone gets free when we get to say, I do want that, I don't want that without any, um, without any harm to the, to the self or the community. Again, I just think it's so important, especially for young people who are looking to go out and traveling, whether they are doing an animal-based experience or not, really thinking about your impact is so important. And I think increasingly people are becoming aware of these things, but I, you know, I think especially for young folks, where it's maybe their first time venturing into a different culture or a foreign place to really think intentionally about their impact and what things feel right and don't feel right. And not just kind of having that selfish lens that I think is very common for travelers of, well, I want this picture. I want to do this and you know, <laughs> whatever it is for the gram, but really thinking more intentionally about what those impacts might be. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, because it because it, it can feel really cheap, right? Like when when we're not contributing meanfully, and when we're not using like best known professional um, practices, when an animal is chained and you have a picture next to that animal, you go, yeah, but I had to crop out the chain. And so if you're cropping out a chain, you already know, like, I don't want people to see that. It already has cheapened the experience. It already is not what you want. Not all of us are going to be lucky enough to see a tiger in the wild. And that is both a shame and and a blessing and a massive privilege that if you get to see one, how incredibly amazing for you because it was luck or you put years and years and years into studying tigers and and you really paid your dues and now you get to see one. Not every gap year student gets to just walk around a a tiger surveying program and, and see a tiger because it's just not how the world works unfortunately and it's so cool to have a picture on the gram but like that's not that's not the real world and that's not it's not good for you or other people that see that tiger and feel entitled to it and it's certainly not good for the tiger Mm -hmm. and and perpetuates you know yeah those those quote-unquote cool pictures for the gram perpetuate really unfortunate stereotypes and experiences and yeah it's it's all bad news. So I, I have to say too, I just think you're overall on your website. I, I will link this in the show notes because I think it's really worth sharing. All of your sort of guidelines for ethical travel, I think are really great touch points for people. So I'll make sure that's linked if anybody's wanting to look further into general ethics because I think it's it's really important to think about. And kind of continuing on that as well, I understand that you have had a hand in helping to create the fair trade learning standards that the Gap Year Association is using for programs to use for their accreditation. Um, you know, they must meet these standards in order to be accredited and same for Gap Year counselors in this realm. And so, yeah, we'd love to just hear a little bit more. I mean, I've read through the standards extensively going through accreditation at, at the company I work for, but uh, just a little bit more about the background with these fair trade learning standards and specifically the the animal related ones. You know, what is the thinking behind those and what are things people should really be looking at in terms of that? Yeah, it was, oh, I was just like this agent of chaos being part of this committee and just <laughs> ruined everyone's day every time. <laughs> so we would talk about all of these like very wonderful um, um, ways to, you know, make sure that programs are community led. We're using professional practices. There's, uh, we're investing in in the local communities. We're doing all these really great things. And, and, and I was the, um, 
sadly, but very happy um, angel of doom that would say, okay, but what about the animals? (laughs) (laughs) What about them? Because I think oftentimes what happens is not that people forget that that animals are sentient beings, and especially not on the committee, I'm not saying that at all, but in tourism, often what can happen is there's this massive gray area that um, we know for sure vulnerable populations need to be protected. We know for sure that, um, yeah, like I said, we do need to decolonize travel. We need to get entitlement out of these programs and make it more about reciprocity. But then um, animals come into play and we just go, I don't know, does that sloth sanctuary, do those sloths really, really need to wear pajamas? We're not sure. And I have to come in and tell people, "Uh, no, they don't. (laughs) It's so cute. And I know it's cute, but like you were just saying, like it does create this culture of... um, I see it all the time on Instagram that people will see a cute animal and under it, they will write, I want it. And that is a flag to animal traffickers around the world that that animal can be trafficked and that animal can make money. And animals are a very, a very easy way for people to feed their families, get an education, feed their addictions animal poachers and traffickers are typically not bad people they're living in a a extremely broken system that society has made and so when we're looking at fair trade learning standards i think a lot of the time it's me saying animals are very sad but we still have to look at how they got sad and how can we make it better for everyone around them Because I don't think that there's many people that traffic animals or have animals at, I would say, unethical centers that are happy about it. No one looks at a tiger that is pacing in its cage and sad and goes like, well, I'm really happy to be here today. They're looking at it and going like, wow, this like majestic creature is here again, feeding my family, perhaps. Um, And so it was... I found it really I found it really empowering to be such a downer. Um, but to be able to really talk about the very best practices and how, especially in certification, we're not looking for a binary change. We are looking for, I mean, like we kind of are, but we understand that's not gonna work. So <laughs> we're looking for these incremental changes and why they exist and 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 why tourism looked one way and how we can get better and i love being on the committee because we would talk about how many people come into volunteering with the idea of um of of course wanting to help and having the best intentions of course and perhaps being naive perhaps 
perhaps being willfully blind. And there's less and less, I would say, of that happening with with humans. Um, but we're still there with animals because we just because we're not because I'm also not a vet. We just don't know a lot of what we don't know. And so where people can look around and say, ah, I'm a human and I don't like that that's happening to other humans. I'm a woman. I want to support women's co-ops and and um, and queer uh, travel and rights and movements like that. But then you look at the rehabilitation of a wild animal and you go, I don't know if that's helpful or not. Sometimes rehabilitation, sometimes sanctuary doesn't feel good. And sometimes the best thing you can do for an animal, sometimes the most lawful thing, isn't the thing that makes you feel good. And so that's why it was so important to have <laughs> to have me bring the doom um, on the committee to say the best known professional practices are are very often um, community-led and community-understood, but that doesn't always mean science is agreeing with what, um, what a sanctuary is saying. And so I think it was so cool to be part of it because instead of asking uh, gap year students or, or even me at the start of my career to say, what is better for an animal, what um, what someone from the local community is saying, or what you have read in a book from North America, it gets to be in the middle, and it gets to be a standard that we have all agreed on. So it isn't just, again, me as like a white woman from North America saying, oh, I read this once and I don't think this is great. Or counter saying, oh, you, a local community member, must know everything because you had pre-contact a history with animals and you must be looking out for their best interests. It, um, thinking about reciprocity, thinking about community-led programs, and then investing in all of us wanting the best for these animals means that there is cross-cultural learning and there's more service to these students than um and, and and all volunteers than the counter and so it isn't it isn't students taking the roles of professionals and uh and and doing open heart surgery on lions in the savannah it is it's helping where they help and it's understanding what medicine looks like perhaps on the savannah with these lions and how it does look different in in canada but how it's not a step down or up in welfare and ethics it is just culturally different oh gosh I, the, uh, you know everyone needs someone like you as you were saying bring the doom i don't <laughs> i don't know that this as negative as that sounds you know to just kind of hold a check for for those important things that should be considered and especially when you're looking at creating these important standards that an entire industry is kind of holding to to make sure that we are all adhering to the best outcomes for the animals, for the communities, and for the students or volunteers who are embarking on these. So I'm glad to hear that you were there to bring that perspective. And I also know that when these standards, and I might put you on the spot a little bit here, but I know a lot of the standards and guidelines have referred to these five freedoms of animal wel welfare, which I understand have been adapted from the American Humane Society to fit this particular realm that we're referring to. And so can you maybe share with us what those five freedoms are so that students can really be mindful when they're looking at volunteer opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. The five freedoms of animal welfare, which um, 
yeah, it's it's so deeply important because again, just like consent, it's something that we can all agree on, is um, freedom of hunger and thirst, freedom of discomfort, freedom of disease, injury, or pain, freedom to express natural or normal and natural behavior, and freedom of fear and distress. And so all of them seem really easy, and they are, but it does from from all of this we have to titrate different ideas about um, animal welfare and and presumed giving animal welfare to uh, or welfare to animals and so freedom from pain injury and disease if there's an animal in the wild it doesn't mean to pick up that animal it doesn't always mean pick up that animal and give them veterinary care. It does mean if you start veterinary care, then you must finish it. You don't get to try your best and then bring something back. These, um, this is primarily for animals that are in care, in sanctuary, under the guardianship of humans. And so if you are if you are perhaps running a zoo or a sanctuary, expressing normal and natural behavior is deeply important. And it's something that we always talk about with our volunteers, because a lot of our volunteers do husbandry at wildlife centers. And so they, they make, uh, they feed, they make the diets for the animals, they make sure that there's water, they clean the enclosures, because most of these animals are wild. And so if you're living in a, if you're living in the, the, absolute enormity that is the wild then uh you pee and poo wherever and you leave there but if you're in um an enclosure because you need to be monitored during veterinary care then your poo and pee is going to be around there and the food that you don't eat is going to you know it's going to be germs and bugs and things like that so the best thing that we can do for these animals is give them a small amount of stress and discomfort when we clean their areas to make sure that they are completely cared for and they are free from disease and, and pain and so the way that we can do that and give the freedom of uh, fear and distress is making sure that there's enrichment and there is natural areas in their enclosures and so there are hide boxes and like branches and places to to, to literally hide and um and, and go away the enclosures are big enough that they can be on one side of the closure and we can move something around um, we make sure that there's enrichment and so they are able to use their brains and not be bored and remember how to hunt and um and not do puzzles but um but change a natural world to get a treat at the end um they can forge and, and understand how to animal and so like a really great example is in guatemala we have um quite a few or a partner has quite a few um uh, howler monkey orphans they're very cute little monkeys and so they are unfortunately um, right at the top of the list for uh, animal traffickers so people can have like a nice little monkey um, as a pet before it reaches sexual maturity and um, does not like anything and so to make sure that these monkeys are 
happy and know how to monkey and know what they're doing is um, I was volunteering a couple years ago and there was a Danish girl that said, we're making presents for monkeys. And I was like, I love that. So you take a little um, uh, banana leaf or any type of leaf, you put a small amount of banana or mango or carrot or any type of fruit or vegetable, and you wrap it up like a little present, and you wrap it up a different way, and then you wrap it up a different way, and then um, you hang it on the enclosure. And so the monkeys see there's something a little bit different, it's something a little bit interesting, and, um, and then they sniff it, unwrap it, unwrap it, use their their brains and they're able to be interested in something they're able to look and forge hunt for a carrot the most vegan hunting ever um and and they're not just in an enclosure becoming more and more distressed and more um un, unhappy so it's natural behavior they're not made to perform and they're also not uncomfortable because they're not bored all the time so it's like it's making sure that we are the highest animal uh, welfare is is giving presents to these animals <laughs> oh my gosh I love that that's so wonderful and I think some of those are such great important things in terms of those five freedoms to really think intentionally about my my question I guess is think you know, there's a lot of these scenarios where especially if someone's not going through say an AEI program or another program who's vetted an animal sanctuary or rehabilitation center or something like that. I know that when I was a teenager as a student, I was on a program and we ended up at a at what I was told was a sanctuary. And I years later found out that it maybe actually wasn't a sanctuary in terms of maybe questionable ways that the animals ended up in that location and things like that. You know, I think obviously those operations are, that is their, as you said, their income, maybe their livelihood and they're good at maybe fooling people. And so I'm curious what other pointers or things that students could maybe look out for in those scenarios that might be an indicator of like, oh, maybe this isn't somewhere that is following my ethics or a place that I really should be spending my time? Yeah, that's a great question because, oh boy. Yeah, every time. <laughs> Can of worms, I'm sure. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, I was going to say every time, but not every time. But often when I say what I do, people go, oh, I did this thing with this animal. And I go, okay, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um. <laughs> And, and, and I, I never want to shame people for not knowing what they don't know. Like I've spent more at this point, more than 15 years thinking and researching and talking to and developing and changing my ideas about this. And so it's not like I woke up one day and like, great, I know everything. It was a long and sometimes really sad process to, to understanding, again, like to understand ethics, you have to understand what's unethical and that's awful. And so I would say the kind of, the sort of easiest way to, to kind of think about something uh, in terms of ethics, I would say use consent. Is an animal tethered? Is an animal coerced? Is an animal, is there fear around this animal? Is there a bull hook used to move an elephant? Is there a whip beside a monkey? That's kind of like low hanging fruit. And of course that would be unethical, but like if you're on a beach and someone says, do you want to take a picture with this monkey? Is, so first of all, it's a wild animal, so don't. But 
is that wild animal, does it have a collar on? If you took the collar off, would the animal still consent? No, it would probably run away and go with its family. And so consent first, and then I would say expressing normal behavior. So a really good and terrible example of uh, very unethical practices is um, our, is blood lions in South Africa. And basically what happens is people are told that these lion cubs are, um, are orphans and they need to be walked on leashes because they just need to be walked and like dogs need to be walked on leashes. So why wouldn't, uh, why wouldn't lions? And so these volunteers go and they cuddle lions and it is so freaking cute. I've never done it for obvious reasons that are about to be known. Um, but it looks so cute and it looks so awesome. And your heart is just filled with joy because I'm sorry, we all saw the Lion King and like orphaned lions. Yeah, it is the saddest. But then these lions become not babies and they're brought to canned hunting areas. And because they grew up with people, they don't fear people. And so it's really easy for a trophy hunter to then kill a lion. And it does this money go back into the hands of people in the community? It does. Is it always people that are lifting up their community in ethical ways? Not really. Um, and does it always end in kind of a horrific death of something that was, that's still wild, it's, they're never tamed, but they are like a feral animal that trusted humans, it does. And welcome to the committee. This was me every time I opened my mouth. <laughs> Do you want to feel sad? Here's another thing. Oh my gosh. But, but it's a reality yeah. that is worth talking about. Yeah. And like, and again, like volunteering will make you feel good. But sometimes it's going to make you feel sad when you feel good. Sometimes when you're working at a dog center, there's going to be euthanasia and it's going to be sad, but it's going to be the best thing for that dog. Sometimes the best thing we can do is understand an animal needs, a wild animal needs to be released. And you spent so much time with this this toucan feeding it you're like you're sad because it's going to be released but it also is so good it makes you feel good for the the welfare of this animal and so if someone was looking at the, the these blood lions without knowing anything else would say is this animal acting like a natural lion it's not and then I would also say, now many people lie. So like, you know, you take that with a grain of salt, but you as a traveler, as a gap year participant, as a parent, as a guardian, you are always allowed to ask questions. Ask a million of them. You are spending your time, you're spending your money, you are spending like your <laughs> your heart chakra, like, <laughs> like at these programs. And if you have a question about ethics, again, some people will lie, but if you have a question about ethics, if you want to know where these animals are going later, if you kind of demand to see where these animals are going later, what that looks like, what is their plan to make this sustainable, where are all, 
are these orphaned lions actually orphaned? A, a, a truly ethical center <laughs> like me will not shut up about it, will be delighted, will want to tell you more. And places that are hiding things will say, oh yeah, these animals are happy. Why would you question us? Uh, it's not great. So be empowered to question because you should. This is one of the best things that you'll learn when you travel, when you do a gap year, is trusting your guts and questioning and, and understanding things more and knowing that you have autonomy and sovereignty and can use it and can ask these questions. Absolutely. I appreciate that, especially the inquisitive piece, because I think especially like you said, if you're dedicating your time or your money or your energy or anything into something, especially on that finite, you know, we can refer to this in the context of a gap year. It's a finite amount of time that is so crucial and sacred, really. You know, you don't get another opportunity like this. So to really vet any experience you're going into and make sure it feels like the right one and is in line with with your ethics as well. Um, I love that piece of advice that you gave. And I know there's a kind of list of activities to, there's another great article that you wrote that I'll attach in the show notes that's in the Gap Year Association blog, just about ethical engagement with animals on Gap Year experiences. And so I know there was a list here. I'd love to read them out. And then I'm also curious if there's any other key things where you're like, you know, another thing that you really should not be engaging in. So here we've got riding elephants, petting or playing dress up with wild animals, swimming with dolphins. Feeding wild animals, um, as you mentioned and elaborated on, walking cheetahs or lions on leashes, or having, as a volunteer, performing any activity that is outside of your skill set. As you said, open heart surgery on an animal. You're not a vet. Whatever it may be. I think that's a really important one for any sort of medical, human or animal related. But are there any other things that you think are common pitfalls of like, do not do this on a volunteer excursion? Hmm. Yeah, you know, I would say misunderstanding it, it goes with, it goes with what i've already said but misunderstanding who you are to the center and so yes you shouldn't be doing any veterinary work and also you shouldn't be maybe criticizing veterinary work and so it's not necessarily um an ethical foible, as it were, but we are kind of seeing it more and more with people, again, to decolonize travel, we have to understand that we have to decolonize ourselves. And I think sometimes what happens is people go somewhere with a lens that North American, European, Turtle Island um, education systems are perhaps better and there is a hierarchy of systems. And so sometimes people will go away see something and not understand the cultural context of it and just write off a whole system or a whole professionality or even a whole community and use really big um brushstrokes and so <laughs> so it's kind of vague but like don't ride an elephant but also understand where you fit into play with everything. Understand that you are being hosted by this local community and have the right to and should ask questions, but should also listen to those answers. Awesome. I appreciate that that piece of advice. And are there any other kind of big nuggets or tidbits that you 
want to share in this space? I mean, you've shared so much incredible information and, you know, elaborated on so much of these resources that I think are going to be so valuable for any perspective gappers out there. But yeah, any final words of wisdom to share? <laughs> I've already said so many words. You know, I, I would say that I know this can be a really heavy conversation and I know that reading about ethics can just really ruin your day. But like, <laughs> but when you go to a center and you volunteer with animals and you know that you're authentically benefiting them, when you are authentically immersed in the community and you are, you are helping, like, and you know that forever, that just feels so great. And it continues to feel great. And one of the reasons I'm so passionate is I get to visit all these centers first. I know all these people. I know a lot of the animals that they're going to be working with, um, or at least the species. And I know just the deep privilege that it is to work with these animals and do it ethically. And so all of the... All of the front-loaded hard work is absolutely worth it because you just, you know that you are actually helping yourself, the community, and, and these animals. Oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you so much. I really think that whether it's on a gap year experience or, or further in life, being able to, like you said, volunteer, give back, have that positive impact in your own community, you know, whatever we can do to kind of sustainably continue to make the world a better place, I think is so important to talk about and shed light on and hope that more people will continue to do that moving forward. So thank you so much for just sharing with us all of this important and valuable information today. Oh, thank you for giving me this platform and for 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 listening the whole time. I know that I can wax on poetic, but I really appreciate talking with you and it's been it's been really fun. Right. And I think, you know, your passion clearly shines through in everything that you have to share. And I think it's, it, like I said, all such valuable information. So truly can't thank you enough for the listeners for tuning in. You can find Nora and the folks at Animal Experience International on Instagram at Animal International or online at AnimalExperienceInternational.com. You can find us here at Gap Your Radio on Instagram and Facebook at Gap Your Radio or online at GapYourRadioPodcast.com. You can email your gap year questions or comments to gapyearradio at gmail.com. And lastly, you can download our show wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you have a moment, we'd love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that more people can discover Gap Year Radio. There will be plenty of these resources and information that we've discussed today with Nora on the show notes on the blog. So tune in there if you're looking to do a little bit more research. And, you know, I'm sure Nora would be happy to answer questions as they arise, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thanks again. Oh, thank you so much.